you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. Well, it's so good to see all of you who are here with us in person, and it's good to see those of you who are joining us online. Uh, Whether you're here in person or online, know that we believe you are here, part of our service for a reason today. Uh, Whether it's your very first time or whether you've been with us for years, I believe the Lord has something for you, uh, and I'm excited to see what God will do uh, throughout our time together this morning. If we've not met yet, my name is JP. I would love an opportunity to meet you after the service. If we have met yet, please still come talk to me after service. It'll be fun. So um, we are, uh, as, we, as Michelle just mentioned, we are in a Life on Mission series that over the past several weeks, we've been looking at... Um, the book of Acts, and looking at five different spiritual practices that we can do in order to really be engaged in the mission of God and for what he has for uh, us as um, his people to help build his kingdom throughout our world. And so we've talked about what it looks like to gather purposefully, to be able to come together for a reason, and why it's important for us to be devoted to coming together. We talked about what it means to uh, be able to connect deeply, to not just have this time of, you know, the two minutes, three minutes we have of greeting, to not have that be the only time you're connecting with people as part of our church. To talk about giving generously last week and recognizing that we can give and so that God can use that both locally and globally. And today we're going to talk about the idea of serving selflessly. But before we do, I would ask that you would join me in a word of prayer as we get ready to dive into the passage together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for each person who is part of our service today. Um, I thank you that each person who hears my voice whether they're live in person, live online, or listening to the podcast, watching the video later, whenever they're um, hearing this, Lord, I pray that they would have an overwhelming sense of your love for them, that they would know that they've been shaped by you for a purpose, and that we would do whatever it is that you call us to do, and we would do it as if for you and not for people around us. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word, that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for this time we have together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Um, We're going to start off reading the passage in a couple moments, and then it won't be on the screens, but then we're going to pull some verses out as we unpack our sermon today. Now, We talk about life on mission, and there's a a movie that came out a little over 25 years ago or so um, about the Apollo 13 mission. Uh, It's interestingly named Apollo 13, very creative title. Um, But this idea of it's this wonderful movie, uh, it's a great one about, if you're unaware of it, it's Apollo 13 um, had had an explosion in the air, um, a real life story that happened decades ago. And then they're trying, the whole movie is about how to get the three astronauts on, the, on board back home safely. And so one of the different dynamics, there's all these different times where just different things happen. And one of the issues that come up is the fact that there's, uh, the CO2 levels were getting too high, that there was an explosion that affected the filter. And so they're calling down to mission control uh, at NASA in Houston, and they're realizing that the levels are going to become dangerous for the astronauts up in the air. So 
NASA has some of the smartest people just in the world, right? And so they come up and they realize here's a problem and we need to come up with a solution. So there's a picture here that if you remember the scene, it's they have to make a cube, a filter of a cube, fit into the hole for a cylinder using the pieces that were in like a table full of scrap material that are things that would be found on the ship with the astronauts. Because there's no, it, it doesn't do them any good to come up with a solution that isn't on the ship, isn't on board with the astronauts. So they say, we have to come up with this, fit into a hole for this using nothing but that. And then they just get to work. And it's, it's, it's an exciting moment because, like, I, I love puzzles. I love trying to solve things. Um, however, my, you know, engineering mind is limited to about Ikea furniture. So this is, like, out of my league for sure. But how do you make this fit into this using nothing but this? And then at a, you know, at a key juncture a little while later in the movie, 20 minutes for us, but much longer for them in real life. But they end up coming in and they have it all written out and they say, this is what you need to do. And they came up with a way to make one shape fit another shape to fulfill a purpose. Now, here's the transition we're going to discuss today. That we're going to look at two different lists. If you're a note taker, uh, we're going to have two separate lists today um, that have five points and four points um, uh, respectively. But... What I want to bring up is this idea that we have all been shaped for a purpose by God. And what ends up happening is that if we're not careful, we may look to how other people are shaped or how other people are gifted or the things that God gave others, and it creates not a a desire to give God glory because of how he makes us different. It causes us to have consternation because we want to be the same. Maybe we're discontented with what we have, And therefore, we're not content with what God has called us to do. And so what ends up happening is is that we may spend our lives, that we've been created, if you looked at that picture, we're created as a cube. We're created in a specific way, but we're trying so hard to fit into a hole that we were not designed to fit. We're trying so hard to fulfill a purpose that we were not designed to fit. To fulfill, and that in the so doing of paying attention to the wrong things, the wrong purpose, ignoring our shape. That's so dramatic. Um, (laughs) Ignoring our shape causes us to then miss out on how God did make us. I have a friend who she talked about before, uh, years ago when we went to a missions trip, she talked about how um, she kind of envisioned or had this imagination idea of like, what if every person who's ever lived only has, like, has one specific color that that's, they're, they're the only one who's ever had this exact shade of this exact color of this exact thing. And so the idea was, If you were only given that one color and you are the only one throughout the history of time to have this color, would you, would you use it to add to God's masterpiece? Would you use what you've given or would you long, or would you take so much time longing to be a different color? If you're in a symphony or in an orchestra, you know, there's woodwinds and there's brass, there's percussion. Would you spend so much time wishing that you were a different instrument when you have a certain note to play at a certain time that only you can add, that can only amplify this beautiful masterpiece of music? Would you be so focused on wanting to be like the violinist that you missed your triangle at the moment that you needed to play? Would we be in a place where we miss what God has made us to do 
Because yes, we've all been shaped by God. But is it possible that if we're not careful, we will miss how God created us to serve and we'll spend our entire lives being a cube trying to fit into a cylinder and therefore missing out the role he has. See, Eric Ries, he wrote uh, a book talking about SHAPE. And SHAPE is an acronym that Rick Warren put together at Saddleback for Purpose Driven Life uh, years ago. And we'll unpack what each one of those letters in SHAPE means. Uh, But here's how Eric Ries, who works with at Saddleback, describes it. He says, each of us is intentionally shaped to fulfill the specific plan God has for each life. Understanding this amazing concept should produce in us a desire to humbly and gratefully accept the role God has created us to fill. When we realize, when you realize that you are shaped for something only you can do, there's one color that only you could paint on God's masterpiece. There's a note that only you will play at the exact right time. We don't look to one another to fill those roles. God made you so unique, so special, so beautiful, so valuable that the world will have been less if we do not fulfill the purpose he's given us. And you have this kind of value. What we're going to unpack together is I'm going to read Acts chapter 6, and then we're going to unpack how some of these different ideas of shape are shown in our passage. Not all of them, but it points to what's going on. Now let me give some context of Acts chapter 6 that we open into our story today. So we just saw last week, the end of Acts 4 and Acts 5, the idea of the generosity that has more to do with our intention than it does with the actual amount, and the importance of recognizing that we give generously, not give so that we can get credit, not give so that we can get applause from people, but to give generously for God and his kingdom. And we see what happened when Ananias and Sapphira did not give generously, they gave selfishly. So now we start to see a problem that happened in the church, but then there's some more good things that happen throughout Acts 5. But then another problem arises in the early Christian church in Acts chapter 6. So let's read the first seven verses together, then we'll unpack with a few different lists and we'll see what God has for us today. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Again, it's not on the screen, so listen along or follow in your Bible. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So what's the problem that arises? The problem is that there's a division amongst the Jewish people. People who have come to know Jesus, they're Jewish people that originally were either Hellenistic, which Hellenistic comes out of from Greek. So if you hear about Hellenists, it's because they're from Greece. And so this idea, there were people who spoke Greek, Jewish people who spoke Greek, who moved to Jerusalem. And they're part of the church. And then there's also Jewish people who are the Hebraic Jews. Those are from Hebrew. So they're people who grew up. They're speaking um, Aramaic right now. So they're speaking different languages. 
And yet, they're all part of the same body. One of the beauties about God's kingdom and about the people of God is that we don't need to come from the same place or even to speak the same language or to live in the same area. We can know that right now we are joining with billions of people across this world who are worshiping God and praising Jesus on this Sunday. We get to lift our voice in that choir. We get to dive into his word knowing that we are with a brotherhood and a fellowship across the world. But what's happening is right now in Acts chapter 6, the widows who come from the Hellenistic Jews are not getting fed. The Hebrew Jews, the Hebraic Jews are the ones that are in charge for the most part. And so they either, maybe it was intentional or maybe they just weren't aware of it. But now that the problem has come, how are they going to handle it? How do they make sure that they're still able to follow the way that God shaped them to do the ministry they're called to do while also making sure this other need is taken care of? So what we're going to look at is how God shapes us for ministry. Again, not everything is perfectly in this passage. I don't want to shoehorn something that's not there, but let's look at what is there. As we use the acronym SHAPE, um, again from Rick Warren, that emphasizes what each one of these letters mean for how God has formed us. The first one, the letter S, is that is spiritual gifts. That in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and then Ephesians 4, there's different lists of spiritual gifts. And there, there's a ton of them. There's teaching and there's encouragement. There's mercy. There's shepherding. There's administration. There's leadership. There's, I mean, there's so many different ones. And we're not going to go through every single one today. But these are gifts that are imbued by the Spirit of God. These are not just abilities that we have, which we'll get to in a couple moments. These are gifts that have been given from the Spirit of God. And 1 Corinthians 12 makes a very important point in verse 7. That each of us have gifts, but the gifts are given for the common good. For the good of the people. For the building up of the body. Our gifts are not used. Our spiritual gifts are not meant to just be for us. Because if we wanted to just use them for us, then we'd be serving other people selfishly. Because we would want credit. We want to shine. We want people to respect us. We want people to look to us. When in reality, when we serve selflessly, we want to point not to ourselves, but to God. We don't want to get credit. We want to give him glory. And so the spiritual gifts, here's how we see this play itself out, or a little, a little snippet of it in this passage. In verse, uh, verse 3 and 4 on the screen, it says, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you. And I'm, I'm going out of order a bit here, so um, uh, bear with me. Choose seven men among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them. 1 Corinthians 12 specifically mentions that the gift of wisdom is a spiritual gift. That you could be a good business person or you could be a good leader in your classroom or you could be a good person people can turn to for direction. And yet without the spiritual gift of wisdom, you might make a decision that's a good decision based on the world or based on circumstances without necessarily having that wisdom to guide. That the Hebraic Jews, the ones who are in charge, are saying, we know that we can't do all of the roles that are here. We can't do everything for everyone. But what we can do is to make sure that people who have the spiritual gift of wisdom can take care of the needs that are there. They don't dismiss the needs of the Hellenistic widows. They value them. But they value them enough to know that they have to say they can't do them themselves. They need help. So, full of the spirit and wisdom. 
See, we see this as an example of how, you know, Peter, when he was, he was the, one of the closest disciples of Jesus, he's the rock, his, his foundation of faith is the rock upon which the church was built. And so what ends up happening is he was someone who would always kind of talk and put his foot in his mouth, right? In the Gospels, you see him say things kind of out of turn, or he's very bold, but sometimes it could be bold in the wrong direction. And so he's someone that once the Holy Spirit came upon him in Acts chapter 2, in the room, in the upper room on Pentecost, he went from someone who would fumble with his words or would be very excited but be bold in the wrong direction to boldly preaching the gospel in a way that impacted thousands. That as Acts 2.37 said, would cut to the heart of those who were listening. That some of you, you may have had gifts that you already had, but when the spirit has come inside of you, those gifts get activated in a way that they weren't before. They have a spiritual gift that is now awakened and revived in a way that now you can see. Maybe it's wisdom. Maybe it's teaching. Maybe it's shepherding. Maybe it's encouraging. There's so many different ones. But that's activated once the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and we can use those gifts for his glory and for the common good, not for our own credit or for our own good. The next thing that we see, spiritual gifts, is the letter S. The letter H is for heart or your passions. The things that you are passionate about that what are the things that maybe going on in the world or a group of people that are having a need that break your heart what are things that you say this is not right and I, I have a passion to be able to serve people or I have a passion to stop something that's unjust or whatever it may be someone who has a heart a passion to make a change God will use these things to line up we see here, uh, if we go to verse 1, which is the, the verse on the screen, it starts to unpack the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews, that dichotomy, that, that division that I alluded to a few moments ago. That because the Hellenistic Jews were coming from another land and moved to Jerusalem and didn't speak the language, they were, again, maybe unintentionally, maybe intentionally, hopefully not, but they were not being properly served. That as last week we talked about, people would sell their houses and sell their properties and lay it at the apostles' feet and then say, use this to, to serve and to help those who are in need. So there would have no poor and no needy among us. And yet, as we see just one chapter later from Acts 4 and 5, now to Acts 6, that there's a whole group of people that were not being considered or taken care of. A people who are part of the body of Christ, no doubt. But they were not being properly served. And so the heart and the passion is these, the people who were of the Hellenistic Jews bring it up to the Hebraic Jews, bring it up to leadership and say, this is not right. We don't discriminate. We shouldn't discriminate as the body of Christ based on where someone's from. The, Jesus is what unites us and what unites us is so much stronger than what the world might call to divide us. This group cannot be separated because of their language or because where they're from. Instead, all need to be taken care of. And they're passionate enough about it. They had a heart big enough for it that they go and they address the leaders of the church. And they say, this is not right. We need to make sure the widows are not overlooked anymore in the daily distribution of food. What is that thing or what are those um, issues or or concerns or things that you are passionate about that you don't even need to be prompted to talk about, but you know that this is a passion that you have. 
that when I uh, went to a conference in uh, 2008, 2009, uh, Kay Warren, so Rick Warren's wife, was uh, speaking and uh, being interviewed and talking about um, her passion. And what she, one of the things she said was she was talking about like the foster care system in America. Again, this was 13 years ago or so. So things likely have changed. But what she said that stuck out to me that was so practical and yet so mind-blowing for me was that she said that if you look at the number of churches in America, regardless of size, whether it's, it's 50 people, 500 people, 5,000 people or more, if every church, regardless of size, would adopt four kids, there would be no need, for, there'd be no orphans in America. That, that it seems so big and yet so practical. And I remember just thinking that and just being like, oh my gosh, like that heart for kids who are in the foster care system and heart to adopt. I was on a, a trip one time, a missions trip, that uh, we were working with people who um, were, well, one person that specifically, she's being trafficked, and, and I remember she was able to get free, and, and our team, uh, men and women, right, but the women were able to take her and have her be in a safe place, find a home for her, away from where uh, the, the ones who were keeping her in this place, and she was ready to go. She had everything ready to go, and yet she, there was one thing holding her back. It was her blanket. It was her source of security and comfort that throughout this ordeal that she's had. And so she's like, I can't go. I, I need my blanket. I need my blanket. And she went, and she knocked on the hotel door to go get her blanket. And then the, the, the guy who was trafficking her just pulled her inside, locked the door, and she didn't get free. And it stirred up this heart, this passion for how do you help people who are in human trafficking? How do you help them to find freedom? Someone who, as, as someone who was depressed and suicidal when I was in middle school and high school, I had a heart for kids who were in that place. And I remember sitting across the table and I don't know everything you're going through, but I've been where you've been. And there is hope. It's a heart, a passion. What is it that God has in, in, put inside your hearts that you are passionate about? Because that's another clue for how God has shaped you. Number three, we have our spiritual gifts, we have our heart, our passions, then we have our abilities. And this actually goes back to the dynamic of what gifts have you been given that don't show up on a list of, of um, spiritual gifts in the Bible, but they're undeniably gifts that you have. Maybe it's the ability to speak publicly. Maybe it's the ability to see a project from beginning to end and know all the different steps to get to the desired location. Maybe it's to be able to sit across a student and tutor them. Maybe it's able to sit next to someone, a student with special needs, and to come alongside them. Maybe you're really good at Excel, and if you are, God bless you, because we need people like that. Like, you're able to just figure out ways to make things work. Maybe you're someone that you love to sing. Maybe you're someone who you love to write. And people have responded and said, when you sing, when you write, when you do this, it, it's, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, and it's powerful. See, one of the dynamics we all run the risk of messing up with is the fact that we look at spiritual gifts and we elevate them, which is good. But then we try to do something with our spiritual gifts and then we give less value to the abilities God has always given us. We think, well, because spiritual gifts are spiritual, they're the only ones that are good. And yet God gave all of us the gifts 
And he's given all of us abilities that no one else has this exact same combination of spiritual gifts, heart, and abilities as you. And so, you know, for me, it's, I uh, was invited before um, at my previous church in the middle school ministry uh, to join the worship team. Um, I tried out one time uh, and it went fine. It was fine. We're all fine. Um, and I remember like I was able to, to sing. I, I played or I sang for a couple songs or a couple weeks in a row. And no, I'm not going to sing for you now. Uh, but I remember like that's an ability that someone had mentioned. Oh, like you could sing. And some of you, if you've been with us for any length of time, uh, you know the story of when I was rocking Shaylin, who's now 10 somehow, and rocking her to sleep when she was about one, one and a half. And it was in the summer and I had uh, my pajamas on as a tank top and shorts and I'm holding her in the crook of my arm and just singing. You know, she loved Come Thou Fount and she loved Amazing Grace as I'm rocking her. She just looks up to me and says, Daddy, you have a beautiful singing voice. I'm like, you know, thank you. She's, but without skipping a beat, and your armpits smell disgusting. <laughs> and I'm like, we were, we were so close. We were great. So yeah, like that's a the ability. The singing part is an ability that may be there. But if I try to just say, okay, well now I want to be like Thomas who leads worship far better than I ever will. Do I look at those abilities and say, well, I just want what other people have. Do you look at what other people have? I want what they have. Do you try so hard to be a cube fitting in a cylinder that you miss how God has created you to be the best cube you could be for his glory? Your abilities. Number four, P stands for personality. Some of you here, you are people people. Like you want to be around people all the time. You've never met a stranger. They're just friends you haven't met yet. And so you are just wanting to, wanting to be able to engage with people. And that fills your tank. So you being able to be a greeter and making anyone feel welcome who walks on our campus would make absolute sense. Some of you are more task-related people where you have a, a, a list of things that need to get done and it's not that you don't care about people, but you wanna make sure that your tank gets filled up by checking things off, a, a checklist, and crossing things out. Like, okay, good, like I'm, I'm good. Some of you are people who love to be, um, uh, you know, you're extroverted and so more people the better. Some of you introverted. Give me a task I could do by myself that I can do behind the scenes and that will fill me up more than anything. None of these are wrong. In fact, all of them are right when it's, you're leaning into how God has made you. But if, you are call, if you're someone who just loves to be able to be behind the scenes and you love being able to just make sure something happens, a process gets, um, work, gets put together and someone says, oh, well, why don't you go up and, and stand in front of everybody and do whatever it is? You'd be like, well, that's not really, a, that doesn't really fit. That's, I could do it if I could try, but there's probably someone who could do it a little bit better. Or maybe you're someone that it's just greeting people or meeting new people scary to you. You might be willing to try it, but there's another fit for you that God has shaped you. Now, let me be clear. Does that mean that we never have to step out of our comfort zone? No, there are times that we can do that. But if we are living our lives outside of the way we've been designed, then we get burned out, we get overwhelmed, we want to give up, and we get mad and we leave whatever circumstance we're in, whether it's a church or a class or a major or um, a workplace. So spiritual gifts, how has God given you a supernatural spiritual ability to lead or to, to serve in the way he's called you? Heart or passion, how does that line up? 
your abilities, how, what has God already given to you that you're able to do that not everyone is able to do. Personality, how has he made you? Are you people-oriented or task-oriented? Are you extroverted? Are you introverted? And then lastly, experiences. What are the experiences in your life that have shaped you? We would be, we would be um, inaccurate to say that none of our experiences have shaped who we are. Some of you grew up in a, in a beautiful Christian home, a solid Christian home, and you are still walking in the Lord today because you've seen such a great foundation of that. Others of you came from a home with abuse and difficulty and addiction and struggle. And for you, it's a miracle that you're alive, let alone wanting to go to church or wanting to hear about God. Some of you, you've had just beautiful things that you've been encouraged. Hey, you're great at this. Someone says you have a great singing voice without the whole armpits part. And you say, okay, good. Like, I can do this. And you've been encouraged to lead and lean into your gifts. Others of you, no matter what you've done, it's never been good enough for anybody. So you try to hide your gift just like someone hides a light under a bushel basket. Friends, your family experiences, your work experiences, your friendship experiences, your class experiences, your education experiences, all of those help shape who you are today. For good, for bad, for ugly, better or worse. And often, it's our painful experiences. The ones that are the darkest and the hardest. The ones we don't want to talk about. The ones we don't want to admit. It's often those that God uses the most to bless other people. It's like the picture of a, of a mosaic when it's broken pieces of glass that wind put in the proper order. When there's a designer who sees the whole picture and can take this moment of brokenness and this moment of brokenness and orchestrates it and puts it all together and in the midst of brokenness then shines a light through it that out of brokenness comes beauty. And out of shards and wounds in our lives can come great design and hope to those who are struggling. Out of the greatest times of darkness in our life can come the light that encourages someone else in that path. God is in the business of taking our darkness and making it light because he's the same God that brought the darkness of Good Friday and out of it came the brightness of Easter Sunday. So our darkest, our difficult experiences can often be the things that bless other people around us the most. That when I sit across a student and it's say, I, I don't know everything you're feeling, but I've been where you've been. They're able to at least know, okay, there can be hope. That through our brokenness, God can shine a light of hope in the midst of it. So here's how we see this in the passage. It's Something that we alluded to earlier on, but the list of names that are mentioned, the seven, say this. It's Stephen. Uh, let's go to the next slide, please. Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch. Uh, I said this in the first one. This doesn't really mean anything, but I, I uh, was working on the PowerPoint, and when I clicked edit, um, it thought that Parmenas should have been spelled Parmesan, like the cheese, but I caught it, so we're good. Um, so these seven names, Stephen, Philip, Procurus, uh, Nicanor, Timon, Parmesan, I mean Parmenas, and Nicholas, there's an important reason that, that scholars point out about these names. Remember for a second, Hellenistic widows, the one Greek-speaking widows, are the ones who are not being fed. People are coming to the Hebraic Jewish leadership and saying, 
These widows are not being taken care of the same way that these are. Call amongst yourselves seven men who are full of wisdom and spirit and can do this. And each of those names are Greek-speaking names or Greek-origin names. In other words, the experiences that these seven men would have had are ones that know what it's like to speak a different language than those around you where you live. They're the ones that would know what it's like to maybe being looked over because you're not, you know, you're not in the inner circle, what have you. They would know what it's like to just be away from where you grew up, trying to establish a new life. And so they would be able to have their experiences shape them how to best be able to advocate for other widows who were from where they're from or who spoke the same language they spoke and who were able to connect in a way that the Hebraic Jews would not have been able to do. All of it plays into how they were shaped for this role in ministry. So I only have a few minutes left. I'm going to go through another list. Uh, this one is a little bit quicker. Um, and so uh, we're going to unpack a little bit because we talked about what it means to serve or how we've been shaped to serve. But what I want to unpack in the next couple of moments is how do we serve selflessly? Like how is it that we take what it is that we have and serve selflessly. So we're going to jump forward a little bit in the slides and look at here how you serve selflessly. And there's four different things that we look at. The first one sounds a little off at first, but bear with me. Okay, stay with me. It says, do what only you can do. Do what only you can do. Now that feels weird, right? It feels like it's saying, you know, when I went at my old church, uh, I would be preaching for the Tuesday night Bible study and um, our setup team would be there and I would come out and I would, you know, put the chair, the tables up and like roll them and try to set them up. And, you know, the team, one of the team members was like, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. And I'm like, you're right. And I threw the table up. No, of course not. Right. Like it's, but it's like, no, like this is part of serving. However, if I became in that example, if I became someone who only put together the tables and didn't actually do any of the study for the end of the Bible study that people sitting at the tables came to hear, I'd be missing the point. We see this as, uh, in the verse here in, in verse chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 6, verse 2, when it says, So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. It sounds dismissive. Especially when Jesus says, who's the greatest among you? The world says, the Gentiles say, the greatest among you is the one who sits at the table, but I've come as one who serves. And then months later, those same men who are hearing this, those same 12 minus one, they're there and they're saying, well, we, it is not right for us to serve, to set tables or to serve at tables and neglect the ministry of the word. Why? Because God, they were so laser focused on how God shaped them and the calling God gave them that this other need was absolutely 100% important. Making sure all the widows were fed and taken care of was absolutely vital. So it wasn't dismissing the need. It was elevating the need enough to recognize someone else needed to be able to do it. It's recognizing that if as someone in pastoral ministry, as someone who has a natural people pleaser bent in my life. If I see a need, I will be the one that's trying to, oh, there's a, if there's a hole in a ship, I'll try to band-aid that hole, which doesn't work. And then I put, try to plug that hole. And then all of a sudden I'm running around plugging holes instead of seeing where God is leading us to take the ship. So instead it's only do 
what only you can do or do what only you can do. Figure out that thing that God has made you to do and be laser focused. Can you be flexible to do things every once in a while? Of course. Every once in a while, is there a time where a cube can fit inside of a cylinder in order to make something happen? Sure, but a cube is not meant to be a cylinder and you are not meant to do everything. You're meant to do the one thing God called you to do. Number two, equip others to do what they can do. So the needs all still get taken care of because if we have a laser focus on what God's called us to do, then we can say, that is a real need. No, that needs to happen. Let's bring other people alongside to do it. We see that in churches, you hear the stats, you know, one of my favorite statistics is that 68% of statistics is made up. Was that one of them? Maybe. So, but the idea that you hear as a statistic that 80% of the work at a church, of the ministry, of the volunteering, of the serving, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. That some people will serve in three or four ministries. And others will come and they'll be a part of the church. It's not that they're not, but they're not serving in the way God has created them to serve. And they're not contributing in the way that God has called them to contribute. They're not painting the color that only they can paint. They're not playing the instrument or the note that only they could play. Equip others. My job as a pastor, as a minister, is not to plug all of the holes. And I'm not saying you're expecting that of me. I'm just communicating it. In fact, here's what Paul says in the letter to Ephesians in verse 4, or chapter 4, excuse me. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Not to do all of the service. It's to equip the people to do service. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In the same way that muscles don't get stronger from atrophy or lack of use. In the same way that there needs to be a maturing in order to grow. Serving and being equipped for the works of service is one of the ways that we as people grow in our relationship with God. One of the ways we engage in the mission of God. Number three, so yes, we do what only we can do. Equip others to do what they can do. And then do all things for the Lord and not for man. This goes to the, 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 uh, the purpose or the motivation behind what we do. It's not to do things so we get credit. It's to do things so that God gets glory. It's not to do things so that others notice us. And so that people can see our good deeds and give honor God in heaven. It's recognizing that when we do things for people, as a, as a people pleaser in my natural bent... It's recognize that if I try to do things for people and lose sight of trying to do things for God, then what happens? We get burned out. We want to give up. We want to quit. We feel unloved, unappreciated. So thankfully, that's something God's still working on me on. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, Paul says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. When there is that act of service that no one else appreciates and no one else sees, remember, you're not doing it for them. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. When you're behind the scenes and we don't get credit or, you know, I don't do a good enough job encouraging people if I, if I see them and I don't say something, 
Know that you're doing something to serve the Lord Christ because he's the one you're serving. Not that that absolves me from being mean. I'm not trying to say that, but acknowledging that what's our motivation and who is our motivation? To Lord Christ we are serving. So do all things for him and not for man. And then lastly, do what only you can do. Equip others to do what they can do. Do all things for the Lord and not for man. And then see what God will do. See what God will do when his people all come together and all of the instruments are playing all the notes that he's written just so. That all of the colors are all painting the beautiful masterpiece that he had designed from the beginning. That every cube is being the best cube that can be. And if you're a cylinder, you're the best cylinder you could be. And you're doing all things for the Lord. And so when all of that happens, we never feel more alive. And God's kingdom continues to grow. The last two verses of Acts chapter 6, 6, and 7 put it this way. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. When everyone is playing their part, the word of God spreads. When we stop trying to be cubes fitting into cylinders and we lean into how God shaped us, numbers of people will come to know Jesus. They'll look and they'll say, hey, you guys aren't all the same and there's things that the world would say would divide you. What unites you? Well, Jesus is a who that unites us more than anything can divide us. There's a story of Eric Liddell who's a runner, um, who's a, an Olympian runner and he talks about how he didn't run on the Sabbath um, in the Olympics many years ago. But one of the things that was beautiful about it is that um, he's in Chariots of Fire. It's a, it's a story of his life, if you've seen that. And it talks about how when he runs, he feels the Lord's pleasure. Do you ever have those moments where it's like, you know, you look at any, any like bank heist movie and there's, they're trying to figure out the exact combination that unlocks the vault to the safe and opens up to the treasure. And it's like, you ever have those moments where you try to figure out, okay, how are my spiritual gifts lined up? And you kind of line that up. And then you go, and how are my, what's my heart? What's my passion? And then you go to your abilities and then your personality. And for some reason, this is a five-point safe because that's my illustration, so we'll go with it. And then you go to your experiences and then you open it and you get to experience the treasure of God. And then when you do that, there's still hard times, but when you're doing what God has called you to do, when the safe has been unlocked, you can feel God's pleasure with you and for you and recognize that all of you have so much more value than the world may want to give because all of you have been imprinted with the image of God. That in that opening illustration from Apollo 13, they have all this stuff on the table that they have to make the cube fit into the cylinder using nothing but this. And I think there may be times where maybe we think God just kind of had a bunch of leftovers and just thought, well, I've got some leftover clay. I may as well make a human. And like, well, I'll just, you know, give him this and, you know, whatever. And yet we tend to then devalue what he has given supreme value. That we are made in the image of God. So he doesn't make mistakes, friends. If God has shaped you a certain way, which he has, and you're lining into it, you feel his pleasure, then you know what that's like. And if you're not feeling that right now, if you're not lining up, you don't know what that looks like. 
maybe finding out would be a great step to feeling God's pleasure and to not go another day, another month, another year, another decade trying to be a cube fitting into a cylinder, but instead deciding to be the best God-honoring cube you could be. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for each person who is here. I thank you that each person here is fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you, Lord, that you saw each person. You know us by name. You know the hairs on our heads, the days of our lives. You know our hurts, our trials, our negative experiences. You know our joys and our gifts and our positive experiences. You know what it is that you have as the purpose for our lives. Our first purpose is to be in relationship with you, to have eternal life with you, remembering that eternal life doesn't mean that when we die, we go to heaven, but eternal life starts now when we trust in you and in the son whom you sent. But Lord, I pray that you would work in each and every one of us, that we would live this life. Maybe we're running around because things are busy, but we're not running and growing weary and faint. We're running and we're feeling your pleasure because we know we're in line with the purpose you've shaped us for. We love you, Lord. And in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.